All right. Hello, everybody. Glad you're all here tonight. The faithful, the faithful chosen here. And uh, I got my two helpers here, Benjamin and Presley. And sometimes I wish I had more children, but I'm thankful, like right now, that I only have two. Because <laughs> I, if I had more, then I couldn't just do this. Now go hand those out. You'd have to divide them four ways if you had four. Now, this is an interactive lesson, so if you have a question, my kids will have the microphone. You, all you have to do is raise your hand, and then they'll run the microphone back to you so the whole audience can hear what your question is. Now, I have two objectives tonight. One objective is to um, go over where we have been in Galatians, so an overview, a review, and the other objective is to talk a little bit about Galatians chapter 5, which is how far we've gotten. Now, the Holy Ghost might have a different agenda, so we, we want to be sure to yield to his, his will and his way. But that's my objective for tonight. Thank you, kids. Now go in the back and sit, so if somebody has a, raises their hand, and you take turns. All right. All righty. So appreciate the music. Music was good tonight. Thank you for all the singers. And uh, let's look at our review uh, sheet here. So the what of Galatians is that this is an apostolic letter from the Apostle Paul written from Antioch to the Galatians, who are Gentiles, that means they were not born in the Jewish nation. They were not Jews, but they're Gentiles. And if you do a little Google search of Turkey, you'll see the little country of Turkey there. Uh, currently, they're a Muslim nation. You know, they used to be a Christian nation because that was the first place that Paul went was into Asia, and he preached the gospel. But Currently, it is a Muslim nation, so, but there are Christians there, and there's still Christian churches in that area as well. So, um, so the win of this book is around 48 AD, so I got in parentheses, do the math. <laughs> we always do the math from Jesus, right? And uh, we don't know the exact date. You know, we don't know exactly what day he died. Some people say they do. I'm not sure. But we'll say around 33 A.D. So if you do the math, I think that's about 15 years from the time of Jesus this book was written. So, you know, sort of an intermediate period of time, but a short period of time in the whole span of history. Now, the why of why this book was written is that Paul has heard, he, you know, Paul sends people out and people come into him constantly telling him news from these other churches. And so he's hearing news that there are some people that are troubling the, the, new, Gentile, the new Galatian believers. And if you um, would look at Galatians chapter 1-7, let's look at that real quick. So a lot of you have the old paperbacks, some of you have your phones, but locate Galatians chapter 1 and verse 7. It says, there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. There's the problem. There are people that have come into the Galatians who may have been uh, Jewish by birth, um, because we know Paul was a Jew, and he was born in Tarsus, which is in Turkey. Uh, but yet he was not born in Palestine or Israel, but yet he was still a Jew. We call those Jews the, the diaspora. They were dispersed into the uttermost parts of the world, but yet they held on to their Jewish beliefs. So, there are people that are troubling the Galatians. Basically, they're, they are pulling away from the teaching that Paul has given them. Um, 
they are no longer, Paul says, they're no longer in step with the gospel that he preached to them. And thus, he is writing for a few reasons. One of those is to strengthen Galatians in their faith. He wants to um, bolster their faith. And he wants to also warn them not to become circumcised. Now, we're going to, I know it's very interesting that here we are, two, you know, 2022, talking about circumcision. But to Paul, that was a huge deal. And we'll talk about that more uh, as to why that's such a big deal. But for Paul, to be circumcised meant um, that you're saying no to Jesus, essentially. You're saying yes to the law and no to Jesus. So Paul said, you can't, you either have it one way or the other, and the Jesus way is a lot better. <laughs> so, um, and then finally, he's writing to condemn those individuals who are leading the, the Galatians astray from preaching the gospel. So you could kind of think, this is kind of how I think about it. Like, have you ever had um, a three-way conversation? You end up really just talking to one person, but this person over here is hearing what you have to say. And sometimes when you're speaking to that person, you're kind of talking to them. <laughs> and they could kind of understand what, what you're trying to tell them, but you're really not talking to them directly. And this is kind of what Paul's doing. He's not talking directly to the Judaizers or the people that are opposing Paul and his gospel, but he is talking directly to the Galatians. And by extension, he is talking to the Judaizers and saying, look, they're leading you astray. They're bringing in another gospel. Okay? So the letter of Galatians speaks of two groups of people, the, the Galatians themselves and these Judaizers. So <clears throat> I've got a, a little number one and a little number two. Number one are the Galatians. And Paul preached the gospel to the Galatians and they accepted his message while he was with them according to Galatians chapter 3. So let's turn to Galatians chapter 3. Do we have any readers? Anybody want to read that? Nobody want to read that? Raise your hand if you want to read. because Okay, right over here. Get, Presley, take the microphone over there. This is Galatians chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 2 through Thank you. Good reading. Now, this to me indicates, yeah. Okay. Um, this to me indicates that they had some kind of relationship with God because it says that, uh, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of, of the word of faith? It kind of assumes that they received the Spirit here. Um, it says in verse 3, having begun in the Spirit. So it seems like they have at least begun a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't think Paul would have left them unless he had made some converts. Uh, otherwise, I think he would have stayed a little longer <laughs> until he got at least a convert, maybe. But, um, but it looks to me as if the Galatians had, and, and maybe some of them, had definitely had a belief and faith in Jesus. So um, that's the first group of people, and the second group are the Judaizers. And I'm not going to really read the thing in the box. You can read that when you get home. But skip down to number two. The Judaizers are called a lot of different things depending on your translation of the Bible. Uh, sometimes they're called Paul's opponents. Sometimes they're called the troublers, the aggravators, the antagonizers. Uh, any, any kind of word that you want that means opposition. They were opposed or opposing themselves to Paul's preaching. So this group was willing. Now, this is kind of the key here. They were willing for others to believe in Jesus as Messiah. However, they, they stipulated that if somebody wishes 
to believe in Jesus, they must first become a Jew by being circumcised and following the law of Moses. And if you turn the paper over, it includes all those rules, such as ritual circumcision or ceremonial circumcision, observance of kosher laws, which means to eat those things that are clean, you know, no pork, no shrimp, uh, things like that, but a whole lot more rules than just those. And then finally, the observance of Sabbath days and new moons. These were all, uh, they were mandatory if you became circumcised and became a Jew. Now, Gentiles were able to do that. Now, Jews didn't go door to door and knock on the door and say, hey, would you like to become a Jew? (laughs) They weren't proselytizers in that way. They weren't evangelistic, if you will, like Christians are. Jews would welcome people into their faith, into their congregation, if that person would like to come in, but not necess- they wouldn't necessarily go out and get you. <laughs> um, but the way that you would come in is through the door of circumcision. And what I, I think also what's meant by that is that if you were a family, that the, the male, the father, is the one that would be circumcised, and the whole family would then come into the congregation. So if you look on your page where it says problems, the problem or the conflict here in the book is that the Judaizers have, in Paul's absence, notice that when the pastor's gone, things happen. (laughs) When when Paul was absent, that's when these these wolves came among the sheep. So what they did was they swayed the Galatians to believe, number one, that Paul's gospel is not real or authoritative. Now, we don't really know what they said because we don't have, you know, we don't have any writings that say this is what the Judaizers said. But we do know from what Paul was saying that apparently they at least cracked the door open for there to be some doubt about what Paul was telling them. So isn't that how the devil works? A lot of times he just doesn't flat out lie but he kind of cracks the door open just a little, and then he kind of reels you in. And that's kind of what's happening here. So, you know, the Judaizers are saying, well, Paul really didn't get, you know he didn't get his stuff from Peter, right? You, you know he really didn't go up to James and the apostles and get, and get the real deal. He just came up with this by himself. You know, this is what they're telling the Galatians. And then Paul has to write the letter and say, no, I didn't just come up with it. It was given to me by revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at Galatians chapter 1. Actually, it's chapter... Where is it at? (laughs) Where it says, I received this by revelation of Jesus Christ. Right? Let's see. Verse 12, for I did not, there it is, for I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul, if anybody knows how to play cards, you get, you, sometimes you have a trump card, right? I like to play rook. Does anybody play rook in here? Yay. Yay. All right. So you know trumps beats everything else, right? No matter what other, other card you have, if you got a trump card, that's like the card. Well, Paul plays his trump card here. He says, you know, Peter and James got their information directly from Jesus when he was here on earth. But he said, I got it directly from Jesus after the resurrection. And it came to me directly from Revelation. So So my bottom line there is that the Judaizers are trying to get uh, the Galatians to disbelieve in Paul's authority and in his preaching. Uh, The second point there is that the Galatians, they were saying, you need to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses to be be made right with God or to to, uh, be saved. And Paul's response to them was, no, you don't. (laughs) So he, he charges them with preaching a completely different gospel. If you look at Galatians chapter 1, In verse 6, it says, I'm astonished that you, Galatians, are so 
quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. He says there's really not any other gospel. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even we are an angel from heaven. That's pretty... Has anybody seen an angel from heaven out there? (laughs) I've not personally seen an angel, but I guess if an angel came to me, it might be believable, you know, maybe. Um, But anyway, Paul is saying, even if an angel of heaven should come preaching another gospel contrary to that which we preach to you, let him be accursed, let him be anathema. You know, there's no hope for this person of salvation. Cast out of the church, excommunicated. So, what the Judaizers did was they kind of preached a hybrid. Um, They weren't flat-out lying, but they weren't telling the truth either. They preached a hybrid gospel that you could have faith in Jesus, but you also had to add in the works of the law. Now, Paul argues two things in the book. He argues, number one, that the promise of redemption or justification by faith predates the Mosaic Covenant, and is therefore still in effect. According to Paul, the Mosaic Covenant, even though it is second chronologically from the time of Abraham, does not nullify the first covenant God made with Abraham to bless all his people through his seed, which Paul says the seed of Abraham is Jesus Christ. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 17. This is what I mean, let's see if I, okay. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul the covenant previously ratified by God with Abraham as so as to make the promise void. That's very clear to me that Moses's, the law of Moses, just because it was given to the Jews, does not nullify or make void the promise that God gave to Abraham in Genesis 15, that all the nations of the world would be blessed through the seed of Abraham. Now, of course, Abraham had many sons, right? <laughs> many more than just, the, than just the two that we know about. But the, it's, when Paul is talking about the seed, he is talking about one specific, and that is Jesus Christ. And then number two... Paul underlines and emphasizes the temporariness of the law of Moses. According to Paul, the Mosaic Covenant did what it was supposed to do in preparing the way for the Messiah. Paul says that the Mosaic Covenant was only a temporary tutor. But when the fullness of time comes, in Paul's words, the tutor was no longer needed. Paul says that, A child is like a slave until he reaches maturity. When he's fully grown, then he inherits everything from his father. Now, uh, I didn't give an exact verse in there, but that's in Galatians 4 where he talks about um, the being an heir is equal to being a slave until you reach maturity. Then everything that the father's is yours. Now, I do want to make a clarification and I want to underscore this, that according to Paul, the law is good. (laughs) And you could read that in 1 Timothy 1.8. Paul goes on to say the law is holy, and that's in Romans chapter 7, verse 12. David says, I meditate in his law day and night. What does he mean? He means the Torah there. He means the Old Testament. Paul, I mean, David was even before people like Isaiah and Jeremiah. You know, David didn't have those books. When he meditated on the law of the Lord, it was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then the next one is that Jesus says, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill it. So it's when you hear Paul say the law was only a tutor or the law is weak, um, I mean, he, he has some real strong words about, about the law on one hand, but then on the other hand, he, it almost seems like he praises it. There's, there's a little bit of a balance here. Um, 
what Paul means by the law, and I want to clarify this, is that he means the works of the law. He doesn't mean the moral law. We are never to just throw out parts of the Bible and say, well, we're just not going to do that anymore because that's the old covenant. No, it's the eternal covenant that God has made, and we, because God writes that law on our hearts, we, in our Christian daily life, we fulfill or walk out the covenants of God. So, by the works of the law, Paul says, no man will be justified. What he means by that is you can't work your way into a right relationship with God. You could come to church every Sunday and every Wednesday. You can tithe. You can come to the altar. <laughs> There's a lot of people that come to the altar and don't really get right with God. You know, you could teach. Uh, there's been a lot of deacons that really don't have a relationship with God, but they say that they do. The thing is, is that there's no way that you can work your way to God except through his son, Jesus Christ, and by your faith and belief in what he did on the cross. If you try to get up any other way, the Bible says you're a thief and a robber. So as stated above, the universal moral law is good and should be followed. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, honor your father and your mother. All of those things are good and perfect. Um, Paul even states that it is by the law that we know that we're sinners. So how do you know you're a sinner? Well, because you've broken all these laws back here, right? And the only way you can say you're sorry for that is to go through the one who basically walked in the steps you should have walked in and done the things you should have done but couldn't and gave himself in place of you, uh, which is Jesus Christ. So, however, Jesus and Paul both summarize the entirety of the law in two simple phrases. And what is that? Love God and love your neighbor. So, and I see this a lot in, in Paul's writing. He takes these really big ideas in Ju Judean thought, Judean theology, and he makes them real simple, you know? And he's really simplifying this, the gospel by saying, believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And he simplifies the Torah by saying, you need to love God, and if you're right vertically, then you'll also be right horizontally with other people. If you're not right vertically, you're not going to be right with horizontally. So the summary that I want to give you tonight is that Christians are those who profess belief in Jesus. Now, don't throw the rotten eggs at me here. I want you to just hear what I'm trying to say. If, if you want to keep the feast of, and obey the law of Moses, I don't think Paul has any problem with that. However, they are no longer compulsory for justification or salvation. So you're not doing these works of the law, the feast and the new moon and all these kinds of things, to get into heaven or to get into a right relationship with God. Um because there's only one way to do that, and that is through Jesus. Paul even says, in Christ there is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, but only faith working through love. So, in other words, he's saying, keep the feast, don't keep the feast. Keep the new moon, don't keep the new moon. Keep the, you know, um, circumcision, don't keep the circumcision. It, it doesn't matter. None of this matters as long as you have your personal right relationship with Jesus. So keep the feast if you want. Paul says to keep the feast in 1 Corinthians 5.8. If you want to read that, it, right there it is. As they help us to understand Jewish history and they point us to Jesus Christ. So some of the things that we've left out of church have some kind of value to them. Um, but they're not compulsory. They're not necessary for you to do them to be saved. Is everybody on the same page? <laughs> okay, good. So, if you don't practice or keep the feast, if you do, it doesn't mean anything, okay? So, now I've got in my notes, stop, ask for questions. So, anybody have any questions or even a comment?
This is my time to take a drink, actually. I just need a quiz. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we, won't, we won't do any quizzes. All right, turn to Galatians chapter 5. Okay, so some of you have been with us this whole teaching, some of you haven't. Genesis, or Genesis, Galatians chapter 5 is kind of toward the end of the book of Galatians. So Paul is kind of winding down what he's wanting to say. And he's given the Galatians his final thoughts. So a lot of what we're reading tonight is kind of a summary of what we've already seen in previous chapters. So he's already made his arguments in chapter 3 and chapter 4, uh, where he talks about Abraham. He talks about the, being the slave and inheriting the father's uh, um, riches. But here in chapter 5, he makes this final plea to them. It's kind of like this come-to-Jesus moment, okay? <laughs> and um, So here in this chapter, Paul gives the starkest warning to the entire, of the entire letter of Galatians, who are, they're on the fence, they're teeter-tottering about becoming circumcised, because they've got people whispering in their ear, you need to do this in order to be right with God. So they are really kind of on the fence about what to do. Now look at chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So here Paul uses the term slave or slavery, and most of us, when we think of slavery in the Bible, we think about Egypt because they were enslaved in Egypt for a long time, right? 450 years or so. But it's very odd that Paul is saying that um, using the word slavery here in speaking of the law of Moses. Because the law of Moses is kind of, you know, when they came out of Egypt, they got the law of Moses. It was kind of like um, uh, a transition for them. And then Paul is saying here that the law of Moses brings this slavery. So it's very interesting, a very interesting choice of words. But Paul uses the word freedom and salvation imagery when he speaks about the works of Christ. So when he speaks of the works of the law, it's the slavery imagery. When he speaks about the works of um, salvation or freedom, it's the works of Christ. The freedom he describes is freedom of conscience, freedom from the tyranny of the law, and the dreadful struggle that people have to keep the law with a view to winning favor with God. It is the freedom of acceptance with God and of access to God through Christ. Christ met all of the demands of the law for us. He is, he's what we call a substitutionary, that means he took our place, sacrifice. Um, he was our proxy, if you will, on the cross. So he died for our disobedience, and he bore our condemnation in our place. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become the curse for us. Now, that is, to me, that's one of the strongest, it still amazes me every time I hear it. I think it's in 2 Corinthians 5 where it says, and he became sin who knew no sin. And my brain wants to say, stop, stop, stop. Jesus didn't sin. He committed no sin. He was absolutely holy and pure. But yet, the Bible says, <laughs> Paul says, he became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And so in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, it says just as much, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who hangs on a tree, that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, remember 
you may not remember, but the teaching I did last time was about the Holy Spirit coming into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, that the Holy Spirit prays through us, and that one of the, one of the keys about the Holy Spirit isn't necessarily speaking in tongues, even though that is definitely part of what the Holy Spirit comes to do, but it is to cry out to Father, to Abba, Father, uh, from our innermost being. And that when we pray, we're praying in and with the Spirit. And He is crying out to God, letting us know that we are the children of God. It is the, the Holy Spirit is the witness that we are and have the inner peace with Jesus Christ. So look, at, look back at chapter five, chapter 5, verse 1, and that word again, I want to point that out. It, it says, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. So that kind of brought a curiosity to me because he's talking to the Galatians who are Gentiles. So how could they come again into slavery if they never had the moral law or the, the law of Moses? So here's my response to that is although they were Gentiles, they were subject to what Paul calls the elemental spirits. Look at Galatians 4 and verse 3. When we were children, we were slaves to the elemental spirits of the universe. (laughs) That's kind of odd, kind of an odd phrase. Um, I would recommend that you look that up and try to find what Paul means by that in a commentary. Various commentators will say various things. But the Galatians were under these elementary uh, spirits, what we would call maybe even demonic spirits, spirits of their gods, the um, god of the you know, wind, god of the fire, you know, Zeus, and all these different kinds of uh, gods or deities. These Gentiles, even though they weren't slaves to the law of Moses, they were slaves to these demonic deities. And so um, that's what that means to me is when it says don't be enslaved again in a yoke of slavery, that they not go back to their former way of life. Now, let's look at verse 2. Now, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be none advantage to you. Now, I want to point out, Paul is getting really serious with them now. This is the altar call time, right? We're in chapter 5. There's only six chapters. So Paul says, look. And what he means by that is, look me in the eye, look me face to face. I'm about to tell you something serious. So Paul makes it simple as he can. He says, if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. He's saying one negates the other. One cancels out the other. If you do this, Christ means nothing to you. If you, but conversely, if you accept Christ, circumcision means nothing. So um, Paul says here that they are under no circumstances to be circumcised. Verse 3 says, I testify again to, to every man who receives circumcision that he is bound to keep the entire law. That kind of sounds like not good, <laughs> because that's kind of the freedom that we want, you know, is to, is to live in Christ um, and to not be bound to the law of, of Moses. But notice the construction there in verse 3. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you in verse 2, and then in verse 3 he says, I testify to you, or I bear witness. In other words, Paul says, I swear to you, if you receive circumcision, you uh, will be bound to keep the entire law of Moses. So, the danger here is not necessarily keeping all 613 regulations, but the danger is in James chapter 2, verse 10. If you look there, turn with me to James chapter 2, verse 10. Now, James, the Hebrew word is actually Yehob, or Jacob, but the King James guys, um, I guess they wanted to name a book after the king, so they, instead of naming 
James Jacob, like the Hebrew, they named it James. <laughs> so the book of James, uh, if you look at James real quick, Wow. Is that the former or the latter rain? <laughs> All right, James chapter 2, verse 10. Somebody want to read that for me? Come on, we got, got to have a reader. Come on. Somebody want to read? Raise your hand. All right, over here, over here. Over here. <laughs> Roll the dice. All right, there we go. For a person who keeps the whole Torah yet stumbles at one point has become guilty of breaking it all. Wow. Imagine that. Um... I know we've all been there and done that, where we've broken a rule or a law. You know, I think about my children, and sometimes they break my laws. <laughs> but I don't, that doesn't separate, just because they do that doesn't separate me from their love, uh, them from my love. I keep loving them. So it's kind of hard for me to understand this verse because it's, it's quite severe, if you miss one commandment, if you break one law, then you're guilty of breaking the entire system. And I think Paul knows that when he writes this in Galatians, he says you're in danger of coming back under the law of Moses, and if you break one of those commands, you're gone. Like, you don't, you don't get another chance. And so Paul knows the seriousness of them coming back under the law of Moses. Now, salvation, he says, is through Christ, and it frees us from the law of sin and death. That's in Romans chapter 8, verse 2. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to read verse 4. Verse 4 says, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, for you have fallen away from grace. Wow, Paul is being really severe here. This is, this is what I was telling you. That's why he's saying, look at me, look me in the face, look me in the eye. I testify to you, I swear to you that if you become circumcised, this is what's going to happen. Notice the three things. Number one, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Number two, you are severed from Christ. Now, it's very interesting to me. I don't, I don't know enough Hebrew to know if Paul is playing on words here with circumcision, which is a severing of the skin, and severing being severed from Christ, but I kind of like to think of it that way. And then finally, you have fallen away from grace. It's very severe. Paul is saying, look, if you do this, you are saying no to Jesus. Those are some harsh words for a minor medical procedure, like circumcision. But for Paul, circumcision was their way of saying that they could attain righteousness on their own or by their own merits. Don't forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. That's the word of God right there. <laughs> We, we pause and we respect the Word of God when it's being played over the air. Uh, circumcision was their way of saying that they could attain righteousness on their own through their own good works. And even worse, they were saying that faith in Jesus is insufficient for salvation. That was the danger. The Judaizers are saying, you know what? That just faith in Jesus really sounds really easy. It's got to be harder than that, guys. So you, I think you've got to be circumcised, <laughs> you know? And so they're trying to tell them uh, how, to get, how to get right with God beyond what Paul has said. So it makes sense that if they thought Jesus' work on the cross was insufficient to make one righteous, that 
there would need to be something added to salvation. This was tantamount to them saying that Moses must be followed or allowed to finish what Christ had begun. Imagine that. They started with Jesus and are finishing with Moses. Paul said you can't do that. If you start with Jesus, you finish with Jesus. Moses is not the end of the law. It's Jesus Christ. So to add circumcision is to lose Jesus. Now, I wanna—I know this is kind of like kind of theoretical because none of us are like there where they're at, but let's bring it down to where we're at. What are you adding to faith in Jesus that you think is going to get you into heaven? You know, like what kind of righteousness do you think you have to have beyond the righteousness God has already provided for you in Jesus Christ? Think about that. So when you receive Jesus as your Savior, what you're saying in effect is, I can't do this on my own. I can't make myself right with God by anything that I can do. I need someone else's righteousness for me. And when you receive ceremonial circumcision, you're saying, I could do this by myself. I can gain righteousness through my good works that I could do. Do you see the contrast there? And then in verse 5, it says, for, though the Spirit, for through the Spirit, by faith, we wait for the hope of righteousness. Now here Paul changes because he was saying you, 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 and now he's saying we. So Paul is putting himself in verse 5 here, and he's saying that we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Look with me in Philippians chapter 3. I know we're going, going quite a few places here. If you could just hold your finger in Galatians 5. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. It is the, the hope of righteousness is not a righteousness that comes from the law, but from Christ. So let's look at that in 3, 9. It says, it, the, I want to read a little bit of verse 8. It says, that I may gain Christ and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, based on the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see that? If you, if you work your way into heaven or you work your way into right relationship with God, then you can boast about doing it. It's like, man, I've been so good. I've gotten into heaven all on my own, all on my own merit. <laughs> you know that's not going to happen, right? Nobody's going to get to the pearly gates and and God say, man, you, you did so good, I'll just let you in. That's not going to happen. He either sees the blood or he doesn't, right? So, so that's, that's what Paul is saying. Not a righteousness that comes from my own, from my own righteousness, but from a righteousness that God, through Jesus Christ, has merited. Paul says in verse 5 that we eagerly wait. This means that it's not yet come yet, that it hasn't yet come, that we do not work for it either, but we wait for it. We wait for the righteousness of God. We don't work for it. We wait for it. And then in verse 6, it says, For in Christ Jesus, there's neither circumcision or uncircumcision will avail anything, but faith working through love. So, once again, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision mean anything to Paul if you have accepted Jesus. In fact, there in Galatians chapter 2, it talks about how Titus himself was a partner with Paul, but yet Titus was not circumcised. Imagine that. I mean, there's a real contrast here. Paul, a circumcised Jew, ministering with, preaching alongside of an uncircumcised Gentile. Paul did that for a reason. That was strategic. Because when Paul went into um, places that were not um, Hebraic or Judaic, Titus could come in and kind of relate to those people because he was a Gentile. And so when he brings Titus to the apostles, the apostles don't tell him, you you know, Titus, you have to be circumcised in order to receive Christ. Look at um, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 3. Well, we'll read 1 through 3. 
Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. And anybody would recognize Titus isn't a good Hebrew name either. <laughs> it's not even Hebrew. Uh, verse 2, I went up by revelation, and I laid before them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, lest somehow I should be running or had run in vain. In other words, unless they misunderstood the gospel I was preaching. And verse 3 says, But even Titus, who was with me, was not compelled to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. So this here indicates that the, that the apostles in Jerusalem were also on board with what Paul was preaching about circumcision. So Paul is saying, circumcision nor uncircumcision matter, but what matters is your faith. When a person is in Christ, nothing is more necessary than Jesus. Uh, nothing else is needed. Nothing else is added. You can't grow to meet, just like Sister Kim had that, remember she had the standard up there, the big, what was that, a pole? <laughs> you, can't, you can't rise up to meet the standard of that six feet. You know, God has to lift you up to, to get up to that point. So I want to also underscore, so that we all are on the same page, that Paul does not give anyone a license to sin. Just because we're free, he used these words freedom and free from slavery, free from bondage, doesn't mean that you can just go out and sin any way that you'd like to because God in Christ has forgiven you. That's kind of like, uh, kind of like coming out from the garden with your shoes muddy and then you kind of stomping through the house. You know, that's, it's kind of like that where you're... Uh, well, the book of Hebrews says you're putting God or Jesus to uh, shame. You're putting him, hanging him on the cross afresh or anew. And so this is not a license to sin. Those who have put their faith in Christ are supposed to be living in the Spirit, living and walking in step with the Spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. So once we have put on our faith in Christ, we are supposed to continue toward living a holy and sanctified life, which we can only do through Jesus. Now, I'm going to stop here for questions or comments. I think it's more of a, a comment, but as you were talking earlier, I was thinking back to the ancient covenant um, that Kim talked about a few weeks ago, and how um, we saw a picture of that with Abraham and God, and how a sacrifice had to be made, and blood had to be shed, and when I studied covenant a few years back, uh, it talked about when they would do things like that with their sacrifices, they were making a door. So the blood, they would pour the blood across in between the cut sacrifices, and they would walk across the blood if two men made a covenant together. So the blood would be a door. And I was, as you were talking here in chapter 5, I was seeing that door and how the Jewish people, the blood of their covenant with God was circumcision. So circumcision was the door to that covenant. So when we have a new covenant through Messiah, his blood was shed, and he said, I am the door. So now we have a new door to this covenant with God through his blood, yet the Judaizers were saying, this covenant isn't complete. You can't go just through this door. You have to go back to the, through the old door, which was trampling the blood of Jesus because they were saying he was not the door. This door is not enough. They didn't understand the new covenant walked through a new door. That's beautiful how you put that. I'm going to clap to that. <laughs> Very good. Very good insight there. This is that's what it means to be in community. It's what it means to be in community with people that are spirit filled. 
that the Spirit doesn't just speak to me, but He speaks through everyone in the community. And that from comments like that, we grow into maturity, into the the man of God, or the man, men and women of God that we need to be. Thank you so much for that. And Jesus is the door. That's wonderful. That is so wonderful. Let's let's go through. I've got notes all the way to chapter tw- or verse twelve. So let's go. Let's plot on here. Look at chapter verses seven and eight in Galatians chapter five. It says, "You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth?" This persuasion is not from him who calls you. Now, Paul, being a good um, cosmopolitan man, you know, he, he grew up in a large city. He lived in Jerusalem. He lived in Antioch, these really large cities. Most of these cities would have an arena, and everybody during this time, it wasn't football, but it was races. Everybody loved to race, and so there were there were places everywhere where you could see the races. And so Paul is saying here, that's kind of the idea, is he's saying on several occasions um, that they are running, but he's saying you were running okay for a while, and now something's happened. Um, Something's happened. You've, You've fallen over. Something has hindered you is what he says. It's like you have fallen over or stumbled over a hindrance, and now you have fallen. It's an obstacle, something that's thrown in somebody's way. So in, in other words, Paul is saying, what's tripped you up? <laughs> you, were, you were walking the way in the path of God. You were saved and you were uh, filled with the Spirit. But what has happened? Uh, what has tripped you up? Now, Paul says clearly that the hindrance wasn't from God. God didn't throw the hindrance there. Look who it is. Look at Look at uh, verse 7 of chapter 5. It says, you were running well, someone hindered you. So that's number one. Look at verse 10. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, that he who is troubling you will bear his judgment. So they're being hindered, they're being troubled. And look at verse 12. I wish that those who unsettle you would mutilate themselves. And here we got the third word, which is unsettled. So these people are hindering, the Judaizers are hindering, they're troubling, and they're unsettling the Galatians. Now, let's look at verse 9. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Another way to say that is a little bit of yeast makes the whole dough rise, right? Um, I've baked a little bit in my life, and I've used some yeast. And it's amazing how just a little bit of that, I mean, have you ever gotten a package of yeast? It's just powder, really. You just sprinkle it in the bread, and then an hour or two later, it's like this big thing. <laughs> and so Paul is saying here, he's using a, a turn of phrase, but he, he's saying just a few people in your congregation, maybe not even, I can't put a number on it, but let's say five out of 200 or something, just a few people are causing you to get tripped up. It's not everybody, but it's a few. And those few have enough sway or enough power that they're able to trip you up. Now, it's always the small things, isn't it? I'm not talking about murder and rape and uh, outright theft and those kinds of things, because a lot of us aren't, aren't doing those things. But what is it? It's these, our subtle attitudes, whispers in the ear, you know, uh, jealousies, envy, striving. You know, it's these things that that on the surface aren't as big as the big dogs, you know, murder and rape and all those things, but they still can cause such a problem in the church. And I'm reminded that that Satan was the one that whispered in the ear of Eve, did the Lord say? Did the Lord say? And that's what the Judaizers are doing to the Galatians. Did, did Paul really say that you just had to believe in Jesus and you would be saved? So I can hear them saying that. So notice also how evil and, uh, and error, both evil and error, can spread throughout the entire church in just a matter of a few days or a few weeks. It's like wildfire. Look at verse 10. I have confidence in the Lord 
that you will take no other view than mine, and he who is troubling you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. So Paul here shows that he has confidence in the Galatians, that they will, he thinks, they will be able to overcome what the Judaizers have been telling them, and that they will come back to the, to the true faith. And it says here, he who is troubling you, perhaps in, in chapter 1, in verse 7, it says that um, there are some who are troubling you, but here it says in verse 10, he who is troubling you. So I don't, it doesn't really tell us, but maybe there is just one person who's the ringleader uh, who is troubling them. Um, per, perhaps it's, it's one false teacher. The Bible gives us plenty of false teachers. Uh, we talked about one in uh, Sunday school last Sunday, Nicholas, and he uh, was a false teacher. And you'll read that in the book of Revelation where the Nicolaitans were uh, the religion or the doctrine that God hated or, or Christ hated. And also in chapter 3, you have Jezebel or the prophetess who is allowed to speak in the church. And she is teaching adultery and different uh, forms of teaching that Christ says, if you don't stop this, I'm going to remove your candlestick. So there are false teachers that come. And there's a penalty to be borne for those who trouble the Galatians and who have distorted the truth. What does Paul say in verse 10? He who is troubling you will bear his judgment. Not sure if that means hell or if that means he's just going to get in trouble or, or what that means necessarily. But Paul says judgment is coming. And you better also remember that the things that you do that are out of order, out of line, that judgment is coming. And then in verse 11, But if I, brethren, still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the stumbling block of the cross has been removed. Now here Paul um, is saying that he used to preach circumcision. And he's saying, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> Once he came to Christ... It was no longer circumcision of the law of Moses, it was Jesus. So Paul asked the question, and it has an obvious answer. In verse 11, if I still am preaching circumcision, why am I, why am I being persecuted? Well, he's being persecuted for teaching about Jesus and not about circumcision. So um, then he talks about the offense in verse 11. The offense is, is also maybe uh, translated stumbling block in, your, in some of your versions. He talks about the offense or the stumbling block of the cross. Paul is saying, if I were still preaching circumcision to you, then my preaching about the cross of Christ would not cause any trouble among you. Because everybody would just accept what I was saying. But people hate to be told that they cannot, can only be saved by coming to the cross of Christ. They, you know, people today, especially people of the postmodern era, millennials and Gen Z, you all heard of those titles, they want to come to heaven by any means possible, but not through the cross of Christ. Uh, through, you know, meditation, through uh, yoga practice, or through, um, you know, a hodgepodge of beliefs. I'm a good person. I know God will accept me. You know, these kinds of things. But Paul says you can't come to Jesus except through the cross of Christ. Many have tried to climb up some other way through good works, like circumcision, even church attendance or tithing. But the cross is an offense and a stumbling block to people, but we must stumble over it to attain salvation. How many here have stumbled over the cross of Christ to be saved? Amen. It's an offense but it's a necessary stumbling block for us to stumble over to get to God. The false teachers were telling the Galatians that they could avoid persecution if you just stop believing in Jesus. You know, you'll, you'll be accepted by the Jewish community. Um, the Romans at that time would accept the Jewish, uh, they kind of grandfathered in the Jewish religion. So anybody who was a Jew, the Romans would not persecute. But when you started saying Jesus, then the trouble came. And so the Judaizers were probably telling the Galatians, they were, they were probably saying something like, you know, if you, if you just stop talking about Jesus and just get circumcised, all your, all your problems, all the persecution you're going through is going to be over. 
And that was probably appealing to some of them. Yeah, I'd I'd like to stop being persecuted. (laughs) But yet, Paul was saying here that, that if they do that, if they turn away from Jesus to some other gospel, they will not be made right with God. All right, and then um, in verse 12, it says, I wish those who were, who were unsettling you would mutilate themselves. Now, I do have to teach this. <laughs> um, yes, Paul said this, and yes, he means for them to go ahead and castrate themselves. Some, some versions say to mutilate, some say to just emasculate yourselves. The idea is that the, there's the knife of circumcision, and that's what the Judaizers are preaching, right? They're preaching circumcision. And Paul is saying, why don't the knife just slip and cut everything? <laughs> so it's kind of like Paul. <laughs> Whoa, you know, it's like that's kind of in our face. And, and it's almost like you could think, well, Paul's being mean here. You know, Paul's being pretty nasty. But I think of it this way. This demonstrates Paul's deep love for the Galatians and his deep love for the gospel. What is more disturbing these days, though, than what Paul said is a lack of zealousness for God, a lack of passion, a lack of concern for the purity and the truth of the gospel and for people and their eternal souls. I, I see an apathy. I'm sure pastor does. We all see an apathy in people. Where it's like, oh, well, whatever. You know, um, if you watch the news at all, uh, I saw somebody shove a lady down an escalator, and there were people coming up the other escalator, didn't turn around. They knew it was happening. They didn't care. It's this kind of apathy that has now spread in the world. Um, And what I'm trying to say is I, I praise God that Paul was zealous enough to say what he said and we might need to have some of Paul's zealousness uh, when it comes to the people of the world. We are not free to willfully break, and I want to underscore this one more time. We're not free to willfully break or disobey the law of God. That's not what Paul is saying. On the contrary, although we cannot gain God's acceptance by keeping the law, yet once we are accepted in Christ, We will keep the law out of love for Jesus who has accepted us and given us his spirit so that we can keep the law of God. And the last thought I have for you is although our justification does not depend on the law of Christ, our sanctification does. (laughs) You can't, uh, well, you can't get to heaven by breaking all the laws of God no matter if you profess Christ or not. You ha- um, Jackie John, some of you know him. He's a professor at the seminary. He said he heard on a radio, he, he, heard a, he didn't say what denomination the preacher was, but he said, I heard a radio preacher, and he said, if, and it, it's almost crude like this, if, I, if a man was in bed with a woman and Jesus came, and we're talking about in a, in a, in a wrong way, he said, if that man was saved, he would go to heaven. And that, to me, is not correct doctrine. I mean, if you're, if you're in willful sin, you need to come back to God. You need to come back to the cross of Christ. You can't be willfully breaking the commandments of God and calling yourself a Christian. Uh, we are supposed to say goodbye to those things. Actually, I, later on in chapter 5, it says we are to... Uh, Walk after the Spirit, and we will not obey the lust of the flesh. So, you know, Paul, I just wanted to underscore, he's not, this isn't a license. And I, I think a lot of Baptist, I, I don't want to be mean to our Baptist folks. <laughs> I love the Baptist. And if you know me, I grew up half Baptist and half Pentecostal. But that part of my Baptist upbringing, uh, you know, I heard a lot of preachers say, once you're saved, you're always saved. But Galatians here seems to say that they, they were saved, but Paul was worried about their salvation. He said, you've fallen from grace if you, if you decide to make a decision against Jesus. So I want you to key in on that and, uh, 
just realize this is a serious thing, and, and uh, your salvation is a serious thing. So let's have a, a word of prayer. Thank you, God, for tonight, and thank you, Lord, for this, uh, this lesson. And God, we just pray that the words will have fallen on really rich soil and that the words that were spoken tonight will grow some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. And God, give us the passion that Paul had for people, for your gospel, for purity, so that we won't be just like everybody else in the world, but we'll be a called-out people, a sanctified people, a Holy Ghost-filled people. And Lord, we pray that we will wrestle with that all week this week. Where am I at in my Christian walk? And Lord, if there's things that are pulling us away from your grace and your faith, Lord, help us to repent. Help us to turn from the things that so easily hinders us and and besets us, O God. Lord, we love you. Keep us safe. We thank you for the rain that we're receiving. Let it keep raining. (laughs) In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, what's... Everybody knows Jay Barentine. He plays the guitar up here. Amber is his wife. Um, They had to take him to the hospital. Lord, we pray for Jay today. Lord, we lift up his name to you, Jehovah God. Lord, we ask, Father, as he's on his way to the hospital, Lord, Lord, that you will protect him, heal him, keep him safe, oh God. Lord, let the doctors know, the nurses know how to handle his situation. Lord, and we pray for a good report, God. Uh, from something that seems bad at the moment. And God, we thank you, Lord, for the healing touch that you're, that you're giving him right now. Let him feel the community of faith behind him, God, as, as we are praying for him today. In Jesus' name, amen.